Welcome back. You're listening to Chanel Aaron at Sheer Bliss, the podcast about exploring life purpose as an introvert. Hi everyone, so welcome back to Sheer Bliss with Chanel Aaron. And I'm so excited to talk to you guys today because there are lots of updates. And I think today's episode will be an interesting one. And just for reference, I'm sitting here with the Mike's Hard Lemonade. And I don't usually drink, but I've had the most drinks in a month that I've ever had, ever. And that number is three this month of May. Um, I don't know if I updated you guys, but I went to Carmel. And I had a really good time there last weekend or the weekend before last weekend actually and i had some sort of mixed drink at dinner there and then this past weekend i actually went with my new future classmates for medical school and we got drinks in san francisco and it was a blast and That was Tuesday on a weekday night of all things, but it was so fun the first time meeting them and we had a lot of common interests or just, yeah, the conversation never got boring and I think it's going to be a great start to medical school if that's how medical school is going to continue. I think that it'll become really tough at times, but just knowing that people are so cool and so interesting is a big highlight. And now it's Friday, and I just had a sip of the Mike's Hard Lemonade, which I think is not good, in my opinion. I'd much rather have, like, an angry orchard or something that is not so sweet and that tastes like soda. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. But that aside, I'll give you some more updates on where life is. And then today I actually wanted to talk about two topics. One is kind of the idea of negotiations and the second is how not to compromise from an emotional relational aspect. Whereas the first part of the discussion will be sort of negotiations from a career perspective. Anyways, it's Friday night and I'm just so ready to dive into the positives of this week because there were some really good things and then the negatives there were some really uh challenging situations so excuse me so the first thing is that on sunday of last weekend i took the mid-year break from recording an episode so i apologize i think i'll just need a break at least once a year in terms of middle of may just because that's kind of like the midpoint of the year and kind of the transition into summer. And all of last weekend, I was really busy. The first part of it, Saturday, I went with my mom to what's called Lover's Point in Monterey. And if you've ever been, it's just a really pretty beach location. And there's a lot to do there. Just walking around, taking photos is kind of the main thing. My mom is obsessed with getting perfect photos and don't mind me saying this, but she's in her late 50s, almost 60s, and getting a good photo for her 
is really challenging because she still expects to look like she's in her 30s. So every time we were trying to take photos, she would be like, oh, that looks ugly. That looks really bad. And I hated to break it to her, but that's just the way you look when you're almost 60. But we got some good photos for her, so I think she ended up being pretty happy. I took probably like 200 and she probably took the same amount of herself. And I took zero of myself, obviously, because, yeah. Anyways, and then the other thing is I went to look at cars that were four-wheel drives on Sunday at two locations. One was at a Subaru in San Jose, and then I went down to Santa Cruz also to look at cars because I found one that I really, really wanted that was within my price range. Prompting today's topic about negotiation and then the later half of it compromising. So, all in all, when I went into that first location, I only really wanted one car. So, what I had been doing the whole past few weeks was looking at cars within my budget within a specific year frame. So, for example, I was looking for anything 2017 and above because the car that I'm trading in or that I was trading in was a 2017 Toyota Corolla which was really pretty brand new, pretty functional only issue is that going to Chicago I needed a four-wheel drive instead of a two-wheel drive so basically what I had spent the whole week weeks prior doing was writing down the VIN numbers of cars that I was interested in based on AutoTrader and these uh, different dealerships close by and I was really interested in getting a car that had no accidents, ideally one owner, but I was flexible on the owner number and I wanted less than 30,000 miles if possible. And I was looking for something that was within 4 to 5k of the value of my trade-in and above. So for example, if the dealer said my trade-in would be 15k, I wanted to find something within 4k of that that I would then pay out of pocket with my savings. So I was very picky. I had gathered all these VIN numbers and I probably had a list of like, I want to say 20 cars and I, then I narrowed it down to about eight. And then I put it on a document and in my document, I had a few facts to put. First off, I put the trade in value that people had estimated my car to be which was 14.5k for 2017 Corolla and then what I did from there was that I put the car that I wanted uh, and I listed them out with their VIN number, their stock number and then a photo of it just so I could remember what it looked like and what type of model it was and all of that and after that what was helpful for me was to then look at how Toyota's that were 2017 Corollas around the same mileage of my car were priced. For example, I would go on AutoTrader and search up 2017 Corolla. Of course, I'm not going to buy the same car, trade my car in for the same car, but I wanted to understand what the dealership would be gaining off of me if they received my car and what they would resell it for on average. So I did that and I found about four to five Toyota Corollas 2017 and I averaged the price up to show that it was going to be about 19K that they were selling it for, for my Toyota Corolla at 35,000 miles. 
So that was good reference point because it really puts into perspective what the dealership is gaining from you. So for example, I went into the dealership and I said, I want to look at this VIN number and I want this stock number. And if you can appraise my car at the same time, that would be great. And the thing about that is that a lot of dealerships don't appraise your car until you're ready to sign, but I prefer those that do because it becomes a more honest process as to what you're willing to pay out of pocket. So I went in and I was looking at cars that were between 22 to 24K at the time. And I realized that that would mean that I have to pay, I would have to pay around, let's say the car was 24 that I was looking at. And let's say my car would be trading in for 14.5. So that would mean I would have to pay 9.5 out of pocket at least. So then when that process happened, I was thinking that's kind of a high price range for what I've seen on the market average for the car that I was looking at, which was a Subaru. And so I just was kind of interested in seeing if I could get a better deal elsewhere and Luckily, I had listed in my notes and in my document another place that was selling the same type of car, same year, same model, less mileage for about 17k. And so I was like, okay, because I don't think that this big dealership is going to budge on their prices with me, I'm going to go check out the really small dealership and see what they can offer me. And lo and behold, I found the same exact model, the same exact year, this less mileage at the other dealership for much less. So I'm talking five to six K less. So I was then able to say, well, okay, so here's my Toyota Corolla. I would like to trade it in for a certain price and they wanted to appraise it and they appraised it and said, okay, that looks about 14.5 K, which was what the estimated appraisal would be. And then the person showed me the car and I was able to say, okay, that looks great. Can you write out the specific totals for taxes and all that? So I can see exactly what I would need in order to get a cashier's check to uh, send your way and pay for the car basically. And the person was like, okay, yeah. And they set a line by line itemized total for me and that came out to be about a 5,300 difference between what my trade-in is and what I would be paying in terms of out of pocket and then I saw that number and I kind of thought well you know uh would it be possible to make this a flat number I know that's kind of a big deal and they were able to say let me get back to you and they are able to make it a flat 5,000 so you know, 5000 is the biggest purchase that I've ever made in my life. Uh, so that was definitely nerve-wracking for me. Well, it wasn't the biggest purchase in my life, but it was the second biggest purchase in my life. And so then on Tuesday, I went and got a cashier's check. I got the, all that settled, and I went in with my mom who signed over the title of the Corolla. And then I was able to sign for the title of my car. And so that was really interesting process for a lot of reasons first being that the only other time that i've really negotiated was with my salary and my starting salary i negotiated a 500 dollars increase which was so silly of me at the time my partner makes and has made a lot of 
uh, strong remarks on how girls don't really negotiate, women never negotiate, they're paid less for that reason. And so when I was in senior year of undergrad, I had gotten multiple calls that I was going to be paid 65k, and I remember that call. I called her back and said, would you be willing to go up $500? <laughs> and my partner was there who completely thought that this was a hilarious joke, but he commended me anyways because I think that there's something to be said about females not negotiating their salaries at all, but the fact that I was able to do that at 22 and just put my foot out there for the first time in negotiating made me feel pretty good, even though 500 is nothing in the big scheme of things. Same thing with this negotiation, 300 is nothing in the big scheme of themes, things, but I feel like I met myself at a price that I was really happy with. So in that regard, I felt pretty proud of myself of first even finding a car that matched what I was looking for to that degree, and then second, being able to bump down the price to something that I thought was still within budget to some degree. Now, when we're talking about this topic of negotiating, I wanted to talk about this because it's super important from a career perspective. And I think that we aren't really told how to do this stuff, especially for women who don't go into business. It's really challenging for us to determine our value and the value of the things that we are negotiating over. In that sense, I think males are a lot more confident in the way they negotiate for a lot of reasons. So, well, let's look at the research. So let me read the research. So research suggests that 20% of women never negotiate at all. And a woman who opts not to negotiate her starting salary upon graduation will, on average, forgo 7,000 the first year, and then they will lose a total accounting of 650,000 to a million over the course of a 45-year career. This research also says that women who succeed in challenging careers have a personality trait by which they regard their true self, so their professional identity and their gender identity do not conflict in these cases, but they are fundamentally compatible. And then it also says that men who negotiate with one another would be more likely to start at ex extremes, high and low numbers, and then work towards a compromise. And this is based on this study from University of Pittsburgh. And then in contrast, women who negotiate may begin at a number that's more reasonable, but in fact may leave money on, table, on the table if they don't consider opening with a more extreme offer. And that's just really interesting because apparently there are some types of negotiating patterns that exist. There are five, so competing, avoiding, accommodating, comprising, compromising, and collaborating. So again, that's competing, avoiding, accommodating, compromising, collaborating. And I think it's also really interesting to just analyze which ones that you use most in terms of these different types of negotiating tactics. And let me explain all of them to you really briefly. 
So again, with these five types of negotiations, the first one is competing. And competing negotiation styles are really just focused and assertive in their communication and oftentimes aggressive. So this is probably, if you've ever seen a businessman just be super straightforward, super blunt, super aggressive, that they probably fall under the competing type of negotiating. Now, avoiding, like I said before, is are people who just don't want to negotiate at all. So they stay behind the scenes and they do not try to really even negotiate. They just kind of completely avoid that. And I think that is possibly a common type of negotiation that uh, does happen. And apparently this type of negotiation can be seen as kind of passive aggressive at times. Or you can see that they just don't negotiate at all basically basically just concede to whatever is expected the other type is collaborative so collaborative negotiators are open and honest and they understand the concerns and interests of the other party and they like to come up together with some sort of creative solution that satisfies both parties compromising tactic is finding what is fair for both parties and coming to some middle ground so these people sometimes would rather compromise on their own outcomes and their own desires to satisfy the other party and the other type is accommodating accommodating negotiators spend a lot of time building and maintaining relationships with the other party and they're highly sensitive to emotions relationships and body language and so of course there's definitely overlap between all these styles of negotiation i think that there's also studies that say uh, when men negotiate with another man, they're perceived positively, but when women negotiate with other women, it can be perceived more negatively. So I think that it's important to consider what types of negotiation styles that you're using in that regard. And so all I'm going to say is that I think women do a lot of different types of these types of negotiations, mainly not the competing type. I have a feeling that most women either do a lot of the avoiding, accommodating, and compromising. Whereas really I think that we should be aiming for collaborating as the gold standard in my opinion. Um, but I think that this is just something to consider if you're actually trying to make any sort of negotiations that you come fully prepared with the facts, with the data to back up what you're negotiating and the prices of what you think certain things are valued or not valued at. And then I think a part of negotiation for women that's different than for men is that there is a need to cultivate positive emotions and i say this because again men are perceived well when they have negotiation and strong negotiation tactics so for men competing might be a really good negotiation tactic but for women 
they're perceived poorly if they adopt those types of negotiation tactics. So I think that for women, it's really important to go into these sorts of negotiations by creating that accommodating environment and really being able to say not to give in necessarily or to compromise what you want and to lose out on anything specifically, but just rather to create that space of still providing warmth and empathy and respect to the other person in the conversation in a way that a male may not be able to do in that regard. So yeah, these are just kind of my thoughts on this whole topic of negotiations. So if you have any questions, feel free to let me know. I'm happy to answer. Otherwise, that's it for today and I'm looking forward to talking more next Saturday.